another episode of Legends of Reed. My name is Joanne Sukumaran and I'm a bassoonist based in Singapore. You were listening to an exciting extract from the work Metaphogochi for solo bassoon and pre-recorded bassoons played by Rebecca Heller. Today I'm very excited to share an interview I did with her that was conducted in early April. Rebecca is a solo bassoonist based in New York and has been praised for her flair and deftly illuminated performances by the New York Times. Not only a dynamic solo and collaborative artist, she is fiercely committed to expanding the modern repertoire for the bassoon and has appeared as soloist with many prestigious orchestras. She is currently co-artistic director of the International Contemporary Ensemble. Besides performing, she has an active teaching career and teaches at the International Contemporary Ensemble Summer Program Ensemble Evolution and she's also on the bassoon faculty at the Manis School of Music at the New School College of Performing Arts. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Joanne. I'm excited to be here. So how are you doing? I, I'm really glad that you agreed to talk to me in this difficult <laughs> circumstance. How are you coping yeah. with New York is pretty crazy as everybody sees, but it's I, I guess it's not as scary as it looks on the news. Um, of course, unless you're sick and you know there's a real problem of hospital beds and, and doctors and all of that is, is super real, but I'm lucky enough to be healthy and you know I really can't complain. Um, I live right on the park on the water, so I get to have walks every day and, and that's really grounding and important right now instead of just pacing. <laughs> Two better apartments. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so good, really. So, so you're allowed to, to go out and uh, walk and buy groceries and all that, right? Yeah, you're allowed in New York. There's not um, even what's called a shelter-in-place law. It's really just they encourage you only to go out for essential supplies and or for like exercise or walk your dog. And other than that, you're expected to stay at home. And I do, but really... I getting exercise is so for me crucial to mental health and stability so I'm really grateful that we are allowed to go outside and people are being really careful wearing masks and staying far enough away um so it seems to be working pretty well okay yeah yeah so like likewise we are approaching that situation I think we have been quite lucky um the situation was mostly under control, but from Tuesday, uh, we have new measures to stay at home also. So, mm. yeah, yeah. so I think I'll have my last swim today. I think. So I just, I'm just curious, do you, have you had some thoughts or reflection that actually that the music world is going to change drastically after COVID-19? What do you think? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. And yeah. I think my thinking evolves every day hour of every day as the new news report comes out. I think it's still so new. I find myself every day waking up and feeling like I want to reach out to someone and tell them how crazy this thing is we're living through. And, and then I realize everybody's waking up and feeling that exact same thing. That it's this feeling that I don't think any of us have ever felt before, that the whole world is going through this massive change. And so I, I don't know, it's so hard for me to speculate what the music world or the arts and culture world or even my life is gonna look like when, when things go back to normal. And I say normal in quotation marks because I think there will be a new normal. I don't really know what it's gonna be like, but I think it's gonna take a long time, um, maybe not in our lifetime to sort of go back to any way of being that feels like we, feels comfortable or feels like we've done it before so I think I'm I'm um, 
I'm scared for us, but I'm also excited because this brings amazing time of reflection for a lot of artists and and everyone really. So I'm I'm sure things we can only even dream up will happen after after we get through this. Yeah, yeah. I was um, talking to my uh, coach, and then uh, he's he he has been reflecting on it quite seriously. And then I think he predicted that actually that touring will become more and more difficult, mm. and then the musicians had to go more local or more regional or something like that. So yeah, I, was, I mean that's one thing I think a lot of us yeah. have been thinking about anyway as we yeah. sort of try to justify the global effects of flying, yeah. you know, six to 20 people on a plane somewhere else in the world to play music where, where most places people play amazing music. So it's really, it's been harder and harder to sort of justify that for ecological reasons. And I think, I think your coach is right now more than ever, we'll be questioning why we are not locally based as individual performers or as ensembles. I think that'll be a huge, Huge question, and I think you're. Right. I think you're right. Things will will change in that way, and there'll be a huge scale, scale back towards local music, mm. which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just to um, let the listeners know that we actually met last year in Banff, Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I worked with you uh, for the Ensemble Evolution, yeah. And right. uh, yeah, so I actually found, I think uh, after my first week, I felt like quite intimidated because I've never played, played so much contemporary music in my life. So it was like throwing me into uh, Definitely the deep end first there. Yeah. Deep end. There's, yeah. no, there's no wading in, there's no big toe dipping in, it's just like yes. full on. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I remember th- uh, talking to... To Gabo, the composer, I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh dear, I'm not sure if I made the right decision. <laughs> but now you've worked with Gabo, like you worked on a piece together, you have like a brand new piece where you're like barefoot on stage and you're playing percussion, like it's quite wild. Yeah, it's quite wild. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's a reflection of Ensemble Evolution and, and sort of what that pushed you towards. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, I, I didn't foresee that coming, but it kind of unfolded quite uh, organically, you know, like from mm. this experience. Yeah, so I think it was a so nice cool. match- matchmaking experience. For, yeah. For uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, in that sense, yeah. Followed your career path, you were playing um, in the Jacksonville Symphony, right? And then, That's right, yeah, in 2000, one season, 2008, 2009. Then you moved to New York to join... Uh, I speak right? Yeah. Oh. That's right. Yeah, I moved moved to New York. I had been in New York just a few months before I moved to Jacksonville, and then I moved back to New York. And you know, it was really that experience in Jacksonville, which was awesome. I mean, I met so many amazing people, and you know, had a lot of really great friendships developed through that. Um, but for me, it gave me an opportunity to really feel like what it was to play principal bassoon in a symphony orchestra and although there were parts of it that were really satisfying and really interesting and really fun at the end of the day I really needed more agency over my career I I wanted to have I wanted to decide what I played every weekend with whom and I wanted to play the music of living composers that was really important to me and I wanted to collaborate with people and create new work and you know I'm a soloist and I'm a chamber musician and I you know, those parts of my practice weren't able to be fed in an orchestra job. So I moved back to New York and um, started playing in ice and, you know, had to hustle to make a living as everyone does in New York, but was really happy to do so because I felt like I'd really found a group of people that I was really, that I understood and that really pushed me to push my technique, push my sound, push my musical ideas it pushed me as a player and it made me better and it keeps making me better, you know, however many, more than a decade later. And I'm really grateful for that and for that group of people and that really that musical family that I found. Yeah, yeah, I, I found it so amazing listening to Claire uh, speak about how she um, started this group and then she was sleeping on the couch and, and um, 
busting her ass just working in F&B as a waitress just to save mm-hmm. money, right? And that blew my mind, you know, that she she walked away from this audition for this uh, prestigious job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, her, I mean, the, was she also a factor that she was also a kind of guiding you towards this path or? You know, she and I weren't close when I joined the group. Oh. So we, no. had, we knew each other from college, um, but we really got, you know, close as friends after I moved to New York, which was after I left Jacksonville Symphony. So she wasn't at all really pushing me in that direction. Um, I was only too happy to be broke and living in New York and playing the music that I want to play and waiting tables and working at holiday markets, selling jewelry. I mean, you name it. I had all of these jobs, but I was so much more fulfilled doing that and being able to sort of have the kind of agency over my career that I desperately desired and needed um, than, than having a secure and well-paying job in an orchestra. What is it about contemporary music that, the, you know, that drives you so much? That, why, why do you like it so much? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think I feel drawn mostly to the act of creation. And so when you work on with a composer um, on making a piece come to life, your voice is just as much a part of the piece as theirs, as, as you experienced, oh. you know, working on this piece. So for me, it's that, it's that feeling of, it's not just ownership, because I think that's a really small word, but it's this feeling of getting to participate in the process of creation, in the generative process, oh. right? Because this music, any music being made, right? New music is, is such a huge bucket term, right? It can sound like romanticism. It can sound like modernism. It can sound like complexity. It can sound like electronic dance music, right? Yeah. There's so many different styles and it's for people after we're long dead to decide what to call all of them or one of them or many of them. But it's our music, right? It's music that was written in our time. We can understand it more than anyone else. So for me, I'm drawn to it because it's it's breathing and it's alive. I don't love every piece that I'm a part of. You know, mm-hmm. I've been I've been involved in probably close to a thousand people pieces being born at this point in my life, and I use chamber music pieces or solo pieces, and they're not all like gonna be the next Beethoven Five, right? But that's yeah. not the point. The point is like the process of exploration and discovery, and for me, that's it's a drug. It's really exciting. And that's what motivates me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me playing this horrifically weird instrument that I have to make read, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand it. Yeah, yeah. Because my, my good friend was asking me, I mean, like, she was um, amazed that I, I didn't stop playing, you know, after so many years. And she's like, what, what kept you going? And, you know, and uh, away from the orchestra path and then I was just trying to explain it that you know like I, I I'm actually I like to go surfing in my free time so I think you like, do I didn't know that <laughs> yeah, but I haven't gone in a long time yeah that's but I so told, cool yeah, yeah so I told her it was are you like any, so, are you good well I'm all right <laughs> not great <laughs> <laughs> then well, I told her surfing sometime I go in Mexico yeah. oh okay so I told her it was like um, surfing uh, waves that are not overcrowded, you know, it's like surfing different kind of waves. So, I mean, if that mm. makes any sense to you, so, mm. right? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like contemporary music is the wave that is less crowded? Is that what you mean? No, different, different kind of waves. Like, different like, kind of waves. Yeah, like if you see, like most people when they are studying in conservatory or, or almost finishing, everyone is uh, going towards the orchestra path, right? Mm-hmm. Very few dare to venture out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And you feel like yeah. a pressure to keep up with it, you know, right? To win a job, to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like now things are changing. So many young people I talk to are so hungry to be involved in something, something deeper. And not that orchestras can't be deep because you know, there are many orchestras in the world that function like really beautifully and play new music and play with one another. But I think 
a lot of young people are really hungry to be more decisive about their own paths. And I think it's also a lot less, quote unquote, safe to oh. be an orchestra musician than it was. It's not the career path that is protected. I mean, look at everybody right now. I mean, it's horrible. Musicians are suffering across the board. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter who you play with. Everybody's suffering. And so I think people are realizing that there's no guarantee to pursuing to a steady paycheck or a happier life musically if you've got a job in an orchestra versus if you make your own career as a freelance artist or a chamber musician or a solo musician. I think nothing's safe. There's nothing safe about choosing this life, right? And I yeah. think the more young people are going to embrace that, the more they can find what it is they're meant to do, whether it's in an orchestra or on their own, whatever, or teaching, whatever it is, yeah. I think people are more empowered to make those choices. That's true. I think this, this virus has awakened a lot of people that actually, there's, yeah, as you say, there's no safety net. Right? Um, going on, what is your approach when you see this new score and then, and then at first you don't know how, what to make sense <laughs> of it. And, I mean, how, how did yeah. you work with your technique so quickly? How, what's your approach? <laughs> I think those are two different. I think those are two different questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your, your first question. It's pretty rare that I open a score, just completed. Like, I the way I work, I will be on the phone, on email, on Skype, on Zoom, whatever it is, with a composer as they're writing the piece. Yeah. So it's it's rare that I'll be like surprised by a piece. Yeah. It happens. There was a composer named Michelle Abundano. This amazing Colombian composer who reached out to me on Facebook and said, I have a piece. Can I send you a piece? And I said, of course. I get, the, I, I get this a lot, right? A lot of composers are writing out to me on social media all the time saying, I have a piece, I have a piece. And I always say yes, and I always take a look at it. And it's, it's mostly, it, it's, you know, it depends. A lot of times I'm just like, cool. This isn't really my bag. Like, I don't really play with piano. Oh. But I'll send it along, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. But this piece, I, I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. There's really something here. This is a kernel. There's an idea. It's very clear musically. But it was also really clear to me that she had never worked with a bassoonist. Like, there were some really awkward things that just didn't really make sense. And then I went back to her right away and I said, this piece is really amazing. There's a lot here, but let's, can we work on it together? Like, can we, can we Skype? And she was like, yes. And she confirmed, she was like, yes, I, I didn't have a bassoonist to work with. I'm really just working from books and from things I've found on the internet. And so we worked, we spent several hours together and she and I rewrote the piece together. And then I premiered it like a week later when I was on tour with Ice. Um, oh. Really, it's called Infinitely Ethereal. Oh. Very beautiful, it's only five minutes long. It's just acoustic solo bassoon, no electronics or anything like that. Um, and it's this really beautiful little snapshot she was inspired by a Virginia Woolf text um but it's so th that that is rare that I'll get a piece that's like written and set in stone that I have to learn and I did that actually with Lisa Lim's piece oh. were you at the workshop at BAM I don't I can't remember anyway Agnes Mundi she wrote it in 2002 or 2004 um and it's a really <laughs> to, I, I had that experience. I had to yeah, work you from scratch. Yeah, yeah, you showed me the score. <laughs> it's crazy. She wrote yeah. this whole new notation yeah. system where it's the series of multiphonics in the bassoon, but the way she notates it, it's like she writes the note that you finger and then indicates which, which fingers you leave up on the score. It's crazy. And it's very intuitive. It's very easy to understand the language, but practicing it, it's like, being a beginner it's like learning a whole new system it was crazy I spent so many hours on that piece and I I've performed it a couple of times I still feel like I need a little bit more work but that's I think that's the closest that's come for me because she clearly worked really closely with another bassoonist Albus Albin Wesley um, and he's great and they developed this whole system together and it's very intuitive like it's Super cool. I understood it right away. Although, you know, learning it is a whole other story. So that's another, that's sort of, that was a really exciting 
way for me to see another bassoonist way that they interact with the composer, right? Because I definitely leave my stamp on pieces that I work on. I have things that I do. And uh, yeah, that is what it is. We all do that, right? And so it was, for me, it was really curious and really joyful to see another bassoonist sort of like way of working with a composer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Alvin Westy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a very uh, fine player from Holland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. So um, yeah, so so was it mostly trial by fire that made you uh, expand your technique, right? Like yeah, in, yeah, yeah, totally. Some <laughs> people just ask me like, "How did your technique get so good?" And I, I'm like, "I'm not sitting at home playing etudes. Like every piece I learn, yeah. there's something in there that like forces me in a different direction. For example." Mm -hmm. I was working with the composer Nathan Davis on a piece he wrote for me way back when, 2010, called On Speaking a Hundred Names. So it's a sort of a centerpiece of my first solo album. And the piece is really, it's really beautiful. And um, I really enjoyed working on it with Nathan. But <laughs> there's this one section. I remember very clearly Nathan came to me and he was like, so I found online this like Italian bassoonist and does it's really easy you can play a high a and i was like ha, 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 it's not possible i can't i don't know what you're talking about i, I can't like what are you talking about high a no and he was like okay cool and then like the next day we were workshopping again and he was like so i printed out the little <laughs> blog post with the fingering and how to do it and i was like oh my god really oh. like okay fine okay. totally yes and I tried it and it was just popped right out. It's really easy. It's a party trick. You put your teeth on your reed and it's like the A key and the first finger, right? That's a G. And then you, ah, you add the E flat chill key and the A flat key and you can yeah. go to an A flat at least. And it was crazy. I was like, oh, no big deal. And I, I think I just say that to illustrate, like there's so many experiences like that working with composers where they push you to do a thing and, I think you have to override the impulse that says, no, that's not possible, right? Because yeah, yeah. of course it might be, right? Yeah. Why not? Why couldn't it be possible? Why can't I try to sound like that? So over year, over the years, I've learned to override any impulse that says, no, that's not possible. And instead I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's try. Mm -hmm. And so I think like collaboration and, and bringing a new piece of life, it's a very vulnerable space because of course the composer's putting themselves out there. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to say something. And yet me as a performer, same thing, right? It's easy to say no, because then you don't have to feel vulnerable about like messing something up, right? So it was a vulnerable space for me to be like, let me put my teeth on the reed and try to do this in a crack a bunch of times. And, you know, and so I think you both have to be willing to sort of like look stupid or like not seem smart, but because of that, by making yourself vulnerable, you find this space that's so fertile and it's so creative and you can throw ideas out there and find something that's really powerful and like takes you to a place. So this is a really long-winded answer. I'm sorry. I can't keep it short. This is my second cocktail. <laughs> but, it, but it's only to say that because I think I've been, I've been pushed in so many different directions and let myself and and push other people every time there's this new new technique enters the bloodstream and and it's something that doesn't leave once you once you learn how to do that thing yeah yeah i think that that really describes it so well being um vulnerable right and uh, because the composer has this vision and then you're like no i can't play that <laughs> right or maybe yeah. it's like yeah maybe i can if i if i play it try it for another 20 hours straight like let's see what happens yeah yeah i mean i when i played the um, the my release show in october i think of the whole program i was the most nervous about the commission piece because mm. i didn't know how the audience will react and uh, mm. and then there was a reviewer uh, sent from the arts council cool the review actually uh, was so surprising because they liked that the best of the concert so i was oh, i was so surprised i was like wow i was like i thought it would be too much hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's the power. I think for me as a performer, like that's the power of performing something where there's a piece of you in it because you perform that more convincingly than you could ever perform something that was written for somebody else or in somebody else's lifetime. Yeah. So, so I guess what you're saying is that uh, trust is essential, right? The trust in the composer, right? I think. And Mm -hmm. the composer trusts you to, um, how should you say, uh, reenact his, uh, his uh, vision. Um, how do you, how do you approach commissioning? Like, do you approach them first or are you friends beforehand or is it a mixture? Yeah, totally depends. And I think it's run the gamut between, you know, being a really good friend, sending me a piece over email, like six months after like a drunken, you know, session where we play around with sounds. And I was like totally surprised um, to really, to be sessions, you know, over a beer at a bar where we're like, hey, we should do something together. And then really formally like deciding what that is and mapping out the piece and the terms together. So I think it's, it, for me, it's definitely, name it, it's happened. Um, so I, yeah, it can, it can look like many different um, kinds of conversations. So then the, the next question will be something very practical. So how do you find the funding to commission them? Like, is there mm. some kind of grants or you, you normally pay them yourself? How do you do? It's a mixture. It's usually a mixture of grants and individual support. So, yeah, I wish I had a lot of money to just pay composers everything. Um, But that's not my situation. So, yeah, I've used in the past a mixture of being, you know, really aware of where the piece is being performed, who the collaborators are. Um, I'm, I'm lucky. I work for a nonprofit organization. I'm a leader of a nonprofit organization. So I'm really familiar with the granting structure in New York City and New York State, and also with the process of fundraising from individuals. You know, I was the director of individual giving for many years and still serve that role under the artistic directorship. So I have a lot of skills that I've gained just on the job. Um, So I make sure to really, to really keep my personal commissioning separate, of course, from, from ICE commissioning, but also, yeah, really work. Usually the composer and I see it as a teamwork and we'll combine forces and work on grants together and sort of they'll apply for the grants that are composerly based. I'll, I'll apply for grants that are performer based and we'll figure it out. A lot of times there's sort of a handshake agreement that we'll, we're gonna, we're gonna make the money, whatever, however we can, and that we commit to the premiere date sort of regardless and knowing that we're really both working to raise money towards that goal. I see. So both of you try to co-fund it together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Um, Do you have any tips on fundraising or looking for sponsorship? Do you have any (laughs) good tips for us? You can do a whole separate podcast on like building yeah. your network and and yeah. uh, sort of strategizing around that yeah. because yeah. you know that is what I do professionally. Yeah. So um, I think a couple really really um, easy things that people can do is really just um, be organized, be organized about the list of people you know and support you, and everybody has that, right? It starts with your family and then your extended family and the people you went to college with and your high school friends and all that. Like, that's really important to build like an email list and just keep adding people to it. Like when you meet people at shows and you interact with people online, get their information, ask them if they want to, if they want to remain informed and add them to your mailing list, whether it can be in MailChimp or just keep a, keep an address book thing in Gmail. That's like, show contacts or I have like a New York City show sort of email list it's really simple it's nothing fancy but I think I think it's a really generous gesture to keep people informed and to let them know what you're up to and it also makes it easier to say will you will you join me so then if you make a Facebook fundraiser or a GoFundMe or Kickstarter I think those are great ways to keep in touch with people and to sort of let them know what you're doing because people you know, people want to know. And so I would say just, just stay organized about 
um, about people you're connected to. That's number one. So um, just curious, um, have you had some important mentors in your life, or in your career? Who have been some of the important ones for you? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have so many people that I'm, I owe a debt to. Um, you know, my undergrad teacher, George Sakikini, was, was amazing. But really, the, uh, my teacher in grad school, Kristen Wolf Jensen, I, I've I'd say that she, she really taught me, she taught me how to practice, right? She kicked my butt. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think she really shaped my technique in a way where I was prepared to do all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Like she laid these fundamentals um, down that were life-changing for me. And, uh, you know, I, I see it in all the students coming out of her studio. They're just at such a high level. She is such a gifted pedagogue. And I'm really grateful to have studied with her. She just totally changed my life. Um, and I was also lucky, you know, at Oberlin, I was a double degree student. I was also studying English literature. And, you know, I, I was just totally slammed all the time. And, and when I was at University of Texas at Austin for my master's, I had so much time. I was sort of employed um, to be a fellow in the bassoon studio as well as a master student. I was commissioning a new piece with Kristen and Rebecca Henderson, the oboe professor there, which was really exciting. Um, and so it allowed me the freedom, the financial stability to practice like four to six hours a day, which I never had the time for in my undergrad. And that that with Kristen's guidance really just like put me on this path towards a level of my technique and my focus and my playing that that I couldn't have imagined two years earlier. So I think that was hugely, hugely informative for me. So um, if you have any takeaways for our listeners, uh, what has been the best piece of advice you've received or like the lesson you've learned <laughs> any, any aha moments you've had so many oh my oh, god yeah. um yeah wow i think for me i my aha moments come <laughs> you know either in the middle of the night or sometimes like after a really big performance, right? I feel yeah. like the thing we're all chasing when we're doing this is that, is that flow state that comes from this, from a performance where you're so prepared and you're also really free. You're somehow able to let go of that part of your brain that is like making grocery lists and critiquing your sound or your read or the attack that just happened or your, the shape of your diminuendo, or like, whatever, right? So that performance, when you can just turn that part of your brain off, and just let the music flow through you, like be a conduit. And it's rare, right? But it's, it's like the best drug you can ever be on. It's crazy. And I think for me, I'm always chasing that. And I find, when I find that in my performances, I find epiphanies and it's less, it's very much less verbal and more like a feeling that settles into my body that says like, this is the next direction or like, these are the things that we've learned today. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, yeah. But to keep chasing that feeling and to keep allowing, I think not just chasing that, but allowing space and allowing grace in your life. I, I think right now, it's there's almost a pressure to create i'm so in awe of people that are already making concert series and and playing live online and i'm sure i will do that very soon but for me i have needed to allow some space into my artistic practice and some room and some breathing to contemplate this moment that we're in and to feel the weight of it and i think that's also a kind of epiphany allowing yourself for me it's come with age allowing myself more room and more space 
instead of constantly creating to also question and and take room if that makes sense okay that's very profound yes yeah yeah i mean it's very rare but i, I understand what you mean the flow state right it happens mm-hmm. and it's like oh it's gone you know <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, and it's so magical when it happens. You're just yeah. like, it's yeah. like when you you can you're outside of your body and it's like you yeah. watch yourself. I've I've had that experience. Where I yeah. watch myself play a bassoon and I'm just floating somewhere. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah that that's like a wave for me, like you know, rising away. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like yeah. surfing. Totally. Yeah, that's why surf. That's why people are addicted to surfing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't think of anything else. You just are. You just exist. You are. Yeah. You exist with the wave. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. It's that feeling. You can't think all. You'll never get up. <laughs> Me, I'm not a good surfer. So if I'm not fully present. I'm... Oh really? Oh. oh. You no, know, I broke my nose and my face. I had a bad surfing accident like five years ago. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I was, you know, it was just an afternoon in Mexico. My husband's parents retired there, and so we were there most holidays, and yeah. we were surfing in the afternoon, a big longboard. I was like, whatever. <laughs> it was pretty calm, and it was like kind of an easy beach, so I was like, whatever. I, I fell off the board, and I didn't do that thing underwater where you like cover your head, and you're like really vigilant, and I was just kind of like, ooh, and I got up out of the water and I kind of looked around and I was like facing out to the ocean instead of the shore and out from the wave pops the longboard right in the face hit me oh in the bridge of the nose God. broke my nose my eyebrow was like hanging down <laughs> blood everywhere I got rushes in ER like thankfully there yeah there I had like eight stitches in my eyebrow and my bro- nose was broken, two black eyes, concussion, oh my god, crazy. And then oh. that night, I was like just like on painkillers and like just trying to survive and I just wanted to eat some pizza and I got, we, we got food poisoning from the pizza. It was bad pizza. And so I was like all night just sick and then like, oh, it was bad! No. <laughs> It's like the worst worst, worst surfing experience ever. (laughs) Oh my God. My husband, who was my then boyfriend, I was like, well, if if you can see me through all this, like, we're going to be fine. This is probably (laughs) forever, so let's block it down. (laughs) That's when you knew that he was the one. (laughs) I was like, well, we've seen each other through this. I think we're going to be okay. No, I've, I've never had such a traumatic experience. I've been I've been pulled by the by the 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 rip before, like you know. Oh yeah, I Yeah, once, but that was the worst that's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so real. Yeah. So um, just uh, wrapping up the the interview. Um, what do you like to uh, do in your free time, like besides music? Do you have some hobbies? Or? Yeah. I do. So my husband really loves to cook. So I enjoy very much making cocktails. The weirder, the fancier, the better. Uh, our cocktail bar is a little depleted, you know, in COVID times. But we have <laughs> what we need to make the necessities. Um, I also really love using my body. So sports, I... I'm a big, this is so nerdy. These are both really nerdy. Um, I uh, really into like speed skating, rollerblading. Like, uh, yeah, I know. It's like very 90s. I'm only glad that it's like back in fashion now. And it's something I really only recently took back up. I used to do it like all the time. There's like a 10 mile trail by my house. But I'm pretty intense about it. Like I was a competitive figure skater when I was younger. And then I started doing skating because I was from near like Placid which is a big Olympic thing anyway I do that and I also train Muay Thai which is a martial art from Thailand uh, kickboxing and my gym is closed now obviously but they have like Zoom classes which I've been doing to keep in shape but um, yeah I love love Muay Thai it's like totally keeping me sane so I like really kind of intense physical exercise 
because it helps my brain you know calm down <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's a it's a great mental physical connection right you know for it helps. yeah it helps yeah a lot yeah so i forgot to ask you one more question do you have any uh, future plans or upcoming projects that's uh, exciting for you yes so many god knows when they'll happen um yeah. so one of them was supposed to premiere this spring it's i'm starting a new project for seven bassoons a bassoon ensemble it's really inspired by felipe lara's piece called metafagoche which is my the title piece of my second album it's a piece for solo bassoon and six backup bassoons um so i really i've done that piece live several times so with six live bassoonists and we sort of surround the audience and that experience for me has been so amazing and and for the audience too the feedback i think seven bassoons is the new like zen yoga like healing circle <laughs> the overtones are just fucking crazy seven bassoons it's wild oh wild and yeah. so you know you have your you have your brass ensembles and your spring on string ensembles and you know your percussion ensembles which are very prevalent your food ensembles etc cetera, etc cetera. but no there's no repertoire for bassoon ensemble besides medical it's just michael gordon's rushes which is That's also true. a very beautiful piece yeah, yeah. And so I was talking to this one composer, Finola Merivale, who was um, studying with Michael. No, she wasn't studying with Michael, she was at Columbia, but she heard Michael's piece and was totally moved by it and decided to write her dissertation on it. And so she got in touch with me because I was in sort of the original group that Michael worked, workshops rushes with. And she called me about that experience and I was like, look, if you're so excited about this piece why don't you just write your own and she was like whoa okay so we started talking about a piece from her Mm -hmm. for that uh, instrumentation and um for seven bassoons and the idea would be that it one bassoon would be really like a solo bassoon so that the piece could be performed as a solo and with pre-recorded tracks Um, and so this piece was is 25 to 30 minutes long um, and then I, I commissioned two other pieces as to round out a program for seven bassoons, one from Joey Guidry, bassoonist and composer. And oh, Joey. W- yeah, Joey, who's at Joey. also at Ensemble Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's going to write a graphic score for seven bassoons. And then Anahita Abasi, who's this incredible composer that Ice has worked with for many years now. And... I've become quite close to, but her music is really dynamic and super exciting. So she's going to write the other piece in that program, which will be about 12 to 15 minutes long. And again, everything's sort of stalled until the fall, potentially the spring, who knows. But I'm really excited this bassoon ensemble project. It's also enabled me to go to many different conservatories and universities because almost any studio has at least six bassoonists and it's something that they can work on beforehand and as it explicitly is part of this project that the ensemble parts will be there'll be sort of extended techniques involved but they won't be crazy unplayably hard the solo parts will be like Felipe Lara's piece that's okay but the choir parts will be like attainable achievable playable while pushing people beyond sort of the normal techniques that you might experience in other pieces. So I'm really excited about this new repertoire. It's not just these three pieces. I have several more composers lined up, really excited to work for Bassoon Ensemble. So yeah, that's kind of like a next focus of mine. I'm really excited to, to build this new ensemble. Wow, that's great because it's not only a um, collaboration, you can also give a masterclass and it's a really nice exchange. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we yeah. often get siloed. Like, I really miss, like, I play the new music ensemble. Most yeah. often, I'm yeah. the only bassoon part. It's very yeah. rare that there's more than one bassoon part. I yeah. just miss playing with other bassoonists. I've always learned so much and, like, had so much fun when I get to play with other people. So with seven people, it's, like, this beautiful experience where, you know, you can learn so much from just being in a room with all these other incredible instrumentalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I miss too, the, the, the colleagues, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the read room. I miss the read room. <laughs> yeah, so so I have, 
I have one final question, which is, um, I was looking um, at your your performances, and uh, one of the most striking uh, performances you had was your debut with the New York Philharmonic, right? Oh, that was really fun. <laughs> Could you take us back? It was uh, actually uh, Fury's Filament, right? What was it about? Yeah, this piece, Ashley Fury's Filament, um, it's a piece for solo bassoon, double bass, trumpet, and large orchestra, and uh, also a choir of migrating choral choral members with megaphones in different shapes. Um, yeah. Really eerie and beautiful yeah. effect. So Ashley is a someone who's been a collaborator through ICE for many years, really genius composer. And she um, was commissioned by the New York Phil and was like, this is, this, is this, this is the sound world that was in her head. And she, I remember the day she texted me. Uh, it was a, like a year and a half before it happened. So the premiere was fall of 2018. And so just a little more than a year ago, year and a half ago now. Um, and she was like, hey, what do you think about playing with the New York Phil? And I was like, shut up. I mean, yeah, that would be great, but I was like, shut up. <laughs> and uh, the piece was really, you know, it was really well received and sort of shockingly so. It was a really exciting move on the part of the New York Philharmonic. You know, it was Jaap von Sweden, the new music director's first concert. It was opening weekend of his first season. Really? And I think it, yeah, it was Jaap von Sweden, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it was the first piece on the concert. It wasn't like, you know, eat your vegetables before intermission. It was the first note that he conducted with the orchestra as music director. And I thought that was such a powerful message to send, right? It was really, it was a really bold move. And I think it really paid off. You know, I, there was, I was in the audience. So there were the raised platforms. The trumpet player was in the very back of the stage on a very high platform. The bass player was stage right all the way down stage. And I was sort of like a quarter of the way back in the hall, uh, a house right with a you know spotlight and a big platform. But I was in the audience. I could sort of, I was much more aware of like the vibes and the feeling of the people around me. And it was very much so like, there was like a, and then a, and then a, and then a, and then a oh. <laughs> it was amplified. We were, all the soloists were amplified. And so it was this very like, of course, because large orchestra were spatialized and it was unbelievable. It, the, the response was just wrapped and every night was sold out. And so I think, you know, over 10,000 people experienced that piece live, which is a really exciting thing to say. And yeah, I think it really just, it, it it set the, it laid the ground in this really powerful way for the New York Phil to be able to embrace new music in a way that their audience, although past music directors have tried, their audience really hadn't been able to go with them. And I think by choosing Ashley, whose music is so immersive, they really extended a hand for people to just join them on this journey. And it was pretty, it was pretty exciting to be a part of that. Mm. I see, I see. So you, you, your platform was in the audience? Yeah, I was in the audience on a raised platform. It was wild. And so my mic setup is, was crazy. I had, so I usually just use a, like a lapel mic for my sound. So it, it, I clip it onto my harness, right? So it's right here. For me, I really like the sound of that. It's a much warmer sound. I think it's because I'm, it's more what I'm used to hearing practicing it's the sound was closer to my head versus yeah. you know mic yeah. around my right hand on the on the bottom yeah. of the boot yeah. joint um and so but there are all these air sounds in Ashley's piece that are quite soloistic so I take my read off and I'm like <sighs> all that stuff inside the vocal and so it's wow. a really dynamic thing so I worked yeah. with the sound engineer at the New York that they hired from New York Phil for the show and I had another DPA inside the bell of my bassoon, but I was like, I need to be able to turn it on and off because if I play a note with my reed, like a real note on the bassoon, when that DPA is 
on, it's going to blow the whole mic out, right? It's going to be a disaster. So I didn't want, I didn't want to trust. It's not that I didn't trust the sound engineer, but it was like too much for him to do to read the score, to turn on my mic, to turn off my mic while he's worried about like the whole sounding picture. So he made me, he built me pedal so I could, I could press the button with my foot to turn on the bell mic for the air sounds. And I tell you, on the first night, there was one bar where I forgot to turn it off. And it was like, and there was a little pot. And I was like, fuck. Luckily, there was like an override in the system. It was fine. I was like, I told the sound engineer, I'm going to buy you a beer. I'm sorry. Uh, but it worked out fine. Um, but it's something I think I'm going to work into my solo shows to have a rig like that with a mic that I can control and turn on and off in the bell because you know, the, the amount of like sound you can get with air sound are so interesting and complex. And wow. that's what she was really going for. Wow. Is there a video recording of it or somewhere? You know, let me see. There's only like from what I can find a um preview, but I think the New York Times or the New York Phil is releasing recordings of certain shows. So let me see if I can find that and send it to you. Yeah, yeah. I saw the, I saw the sound recording online. Yeah. So that oh, was yeah. that was quite intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm bad at listening to recordings of myself, so I've probably avoided it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, but it sounds like such a wild ride. It's like wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really admire <laughs> your your fearlessness. Yeah, it's really so cool. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah, I hope that uh, you meet again in uh, better times and. Uh, Yes, me too. And stay safe and stay well. I hope yeah. everything continues to, to be okay for you there. Yeah, yeah. Stay healthy in New York and my best regards to everyone in ICE. Thank you so much, Joanne. Take care. Okay, thank you. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share it with your friends. That would mean the world to me. Thank you and goodbye.